Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. This is episode 123, 123. I want to talk about a Christological model of discipleship. That is a big fancy theological word. You can recognize the word Christ in it and Christological, logos, the study of Christ. Christology, that is the doctrine of Christ, how we study Christ, learn about Christ through the doctrine of Christology. Well, I want to talk about Christ as the centerpiece of discipleship. That's why I titled the podcast, A Christological Model of Discipleship. You could say a Christological model of counseling. If an individual was coming to me and wanting to be equipped in formalized biblical counseling, it would be the same view. Christian counseling is a subset of discipleship. And so I talk about discipleship most all the time because discipleship covers all forms of soul care, and it includes every individual. And so this is a Christological view of discipleship, which also means of counseling. And it is important that when we are doing soul care, that we're doing it from a Christocentric perspective, that Christ is in the middle of it. So what does that mean? Well, I have an infographic here that will benefit you in It is in the show notes, episode 123, A Christological Model of Discipleship. And this is the infographic. When I do a conference on biblical counseling, for example, an introduction to biblical counseling course, this is one of the graphics that I use when I teach a local church how to do discipleship. Same with the individual I was talking about earlier. It applies to the local church. I want them to have a Christological view of soul care. And I use this graphic because it's clean, it's clear, it's not busy. It gives you a good visual of how you can think about discipleship when you care for other people. Whether you are a wife who is discipling her husband, a husband discipling his wife, whether you're parenting or children who are discipling their parents. And of course, in any context in the local church or a business venue, when you are doing soul care with an individual, to have this view in mind, not just understand it and be able to articulate it. Yes, it would be great to teach this. In fact, I would encourage you, if you have a Sunday school class or a leadership development class or a life application class, you could take this graphic here and use it as the topic for that class on that day that you teach, and it would benefit your students so much to give them a vision of what soul care, discipleship, counseling looks like. And so I would encourage you to go to episode 123 and to get this graphic. But more than being able to teach it, you want to master it. And so this is our worldview at our ministry. This is what I teach our students. This is how we do soul care. This is how I care for my wife, and it is how I parent my children. And so the overarching idea, obviously, if you look at it like a pyramid, 
the big idea at the top is Christology. Christ is the centerpiece. He is the top of the mountain. He is the the apex. He is the one that we we will worship throughout eternity as you read that beautiful picture in Revelation 5. And that's why I call it a Christological perspective on soul care. Christ is the beginning and the end of what we do. And then from this big idea of Christology or a Christocentric view, it breaks out into two areas, methodology and philosophy. And so on one side of the graphic, we have a methodology for discipleship. And then on the right side of the graphic, we have a a a philosophy, a way to think about soul care. And so I'm going to take the methodological side first and share with you some scripture verses that are embedded here in the graphic, and I hope that this will be clear. And so the first thing that we want to recognize and the first doctrine that we're going to run into after Christology as it pertains to discipleship is grace. Grace. God's empowering favor. God's unearned uh, our unearned favor, or the favor that is unearned, if I said that correctly, it's unmerited favor from the Lord that he gives us to do everything that we do. Sometimes we talk about common grace where Jesus talked about it. It rains on the just and the unjust. God is merciful to all of us. And if you do anything in discipleship, that is good. It is God that is empowering you. It is you appropriating the grace, the favor, the empowering favor that God places upon you. So everything comes under grace. It is not man-centered. It's not a man-centered endeavor, but it is a grace-centered endeavor. It's God pouring out his kindness to you, and he can do that through several different ways. For example, he gives you the ability to understand his word His word is a spiritual book, and it is discerned spiritually, as we learn in Corinthians 2.14. And for God to open up your mind and give you a grasp of his word is, well, that's his grace. That's unmerited, unearned favor that he's pouring out on you, and you cannot do discipleship well unless you're opening up. God's Word. Now, I don't mean literally opening up the Bible. You could be, but sharing the Scripture and also sharing ideas about Scripture because the Bible doesn't give us everything that we need to know as far as on black letters on white pages, but we derive ideas and concepts out of Scripture. We have an all-sufficient view of, of the Word of God a spiritual book, and by his grace, God gives you the ability to discern it. Now, also, he gives you the Holy, the Holy Spirit. He illuminates you. Counseling is very much pneumatic. It is a pneumatic experience. As you walk in the Spirit, you're asking God to give you the ability to discern not just his word, as I was talking earlier, but also discern the other person who's sitting across from you. There's always two conversations going on from the counselor's chair or the discipler's chair. Conversation number one, dear God, 
Help me to understand. Give me a word. Give me the scripture. Help me to see what I can't see. And then, dear God, through your word I'm talking about, and then, dear God, help me to bring it to bear on this person. Help me to understand this person. I want to exegete your word, and I want to exegete this individual that's sitting in front of me. That's the conversation that's going on vertically. And then, of course, you're also talking to the person who's sitting across from you. There is always two conversations going on, and God gives you the grace to do that. How kind of him that he would let you participate in the sanctification of other individuals. And so we, under Christology, it's all of grace. And then under grace, the big word is anthropology, anthropos logos. Anthropos is the Greek word for man or humanity. Lagos, of course, is the study of humanity. And so what I'm speaking of here as far as anthropology is, is what we do, what a man or a woman does. It's our responsibility in the counseling or discipleship context. So under grace, there is human responsibility. He gives humans, men and women, boys and girls, the ability to be able to do these things that I'm talking about. And so the big doctrine here is, is anthropology. Now, we, we understand that if anything happens that is profound, that if any change comes in an individual's life, that is God acting on the person. And so what I'm talking about here under methodology is our responsibility. The doctrine of concurrence will come in play here. God, think about it like a parallel. And so God would be the upper line, the sovereign one who is over all and does all. He is the starting point. And then the bottom line of the parallel will be human responsibility. Both of those things are in play, but there's primary cause, which is God, and then there is secondary cause, which is us. And so no discipler would say, well, just let go, let God. No, that's, that's not embodying all that Scripture teaches. Now, we don't want to be man-centered like it's all upon us. And by the way, that's, that's why we relax in discipleship context. Because we know that it's not on us, about us, depending totally on us. We're operating under the grace of God. We're being empowered by His unearned favor we're being illuminated by the Spirit. He's, he's taken us through His Word and allowing us to see. He's given us discernment in the individual. God is doing these things in us, and so we can rest. We can relax. I love counseling. I love discipleship that way because I don't feel the pressure to figure it out. I don't feel the pressure to come up with the right answer. I don't feel the pressure to bring change into anybody's life. I really don't. Now, there was a time when, when I used to feel that pressure, and I thought it was all on me and about me. That is a humanistic, man-centered way. We can do better than that as Christians because he gives us grace. And so a Christological model of discipleship is what I'm talking about. At the top is Christology, and then what comes out of that is grace, and then up under that is anthropology, our human responsibility and the matter, and then up under 
anthropology is methodology. Now, what are our methods? How do we go about this idea in a practical way? I've been talking conceptually most of all thus far, but give me some practical ideas on how to help another person. Well, in our model, in our ministry, and the way that I teach it, there are two primary components. I'm going to give you four foundational components to this Christological model of discipleship, two under methodology and two under philosophy. Here are the two under methodology. The first one is compassion, and the second is competence. Those two things, in my view, from my chair, in my worldview, are non-negotiable. As far as methodology is concerned, anthropology, human responsibility, what the disciple, discipler does, you must have compassion. I have two verses here under compassion. The first one's in Acts, the second one's in John. Acts 20, verse 31 says this. This is Paul talking. He says, talking to the Ephesians, therefore be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night, night or day to admonish you, everyone, with tears. And then, of course, you know John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in the Bible. He did. Jesus wept. Standing there at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend had died, and he was moved with compassion and even the Jews who disdained Jesus, they saw, they were moved, they realized how much this man loved Lazarus. Christian counseling is not Christian or counseling if it's done without tears. That's a paraphrase of a quote from my prof, Wayne Mack, when I went through my biblical counseling training at the Master's College in Santa Clarita, California. Wayne Mack, Dr. Mack said, Christian counseling is neither Christian nor counseling if it is done without tears, and I wholeheartedly believe that. I am not saying that I have always done Christian counseling with tears. I have been unkind. I have been harsh. I have been um, impatient. I have sinned against counselees before. I have sinned against my wife before and my children and other people that you might not think as counselees. But again, what we're talking about here is discipleship, and all discipleship must be born out of a heart of compassion. If you don't, you're going to be like an arrogant man or an arrogant woman standing in the temple looking down on another individual. It is only when you see yourself apart from the grace of God, equal with every other human on the planet, are you able to show mercy upon someone? Without compassion, people will feel your lack of compassion. They will feel your lack of liking them. They will, they will feel your hostility. They might not put words to it, but there will be something about you that it just won't come across well. You may be theologically accurate. 
You may be just as precise as you possibly, as, as anyone could possibly be in teaching God's word or in soul care. But if you don't have compassion, you will not do well. And unfortunately, some of the most unkind people, individuals, are biblical counselors. And it may be because I've just been in that environment for so long, and I've talked to so many counselees who have given so many bad experiences about biblical counselors. But biblical counseling is a tough thing to do. It's really hard. You meet a stranger, possibly. You could know the person. But either way, you're in a short time frame, an hour or two hours, and you have to deal with some of the toughest things that are it is the toughest thing going on in their life right now, and it, it could be historically tough. It could be things that they've been struggling with for 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years, and you have 55 minutes or two hours to be able to communicate what could be, at some point, some difficult truth. And if you're going to carry truth over to another person, that truth must be wrapped in compassion even if the truth is hard and you are confronting them, you should confront them in tears. And so under methodology, Paul taught the Ephesians in tears. Jesus wept. Compassion is a non-negotiable when it comes to a Christological model of soul care. And then the other foundation piece under methodology, our responsibility, the things that we should be doing is competence. We must be competent. Now, competence comes two ways. It comes through precise, intense training that you can have, and it also comes from your lifetime. Your entire life is a laboratory. Your entire life is a training center. Whether you're saved or lost, it doesn't matter in the context of what I'm talking about here because the first 25 years of my life, I was unregenerate. And now, after God has regenerated me, I'm using those things, many of those stories, Many of those bad things that happen to me, I filter them through God's perspective. I see them through his lens as I run them through the word of God, and they become instructive moments, not only for me, but also for others. Everything that has happened to you is part of your training, and, and you grab those things. You pull those things out when you need them and use them when you are discipling other people, and that's part of your competence. Now, obviously, your competence has to be in God's Word. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul said, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of Truth. So not only is your life experience part of your training, but you must be a growing master or growing toward mastering the Word of God. Now, I'm not sure if we could ever master the Word of God, but you must be growing in your understanding of God's Word because it is the psychology book 
Psyche Logos, the study of the soul. It is the soul book. It is the manual, the human manual, where we not just learn about God, but we learn about ourselves. There is not another book on the face of this planet that will teach you how to understand God, unless that book got its information from the Bible. It is the only true psychology book, and you want to get in it, you want to memorize it, you want to bury it in your heart, you want to study it, exegete it. Exegesis is like raking leaves. You get your rake, you start raking on the surface, and you keep raking till you get down to the ground, to the bottom of it all. That's what an exegetical study is, and so you want to exegete God's Word. And when you bring your life experience and God's Word together, it will make you competent. You will be bringing God's Word to your life. You'll be bringing your life to another individual. And by the way, that's what I encourage our disciples, our, our mastermind students, when they're talking to another person There's two points to bringing hope to another individual. Point number one, you tell the individual you're talking to, God has an answer for you in his word. Point number two, this is like 1A, 1B. 1B is, I know this is true because this is what God has done for me. You want to be growing in competence always, compassionate and competent. The second text is Romans 15, 14. Paul said, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So these are the two pillars on the left side of my graphic here. And again, I would encourage you to go to episode 123, a Christological model of discipleship and look at this visual aid and it will help you. I have these four texts, Acts 20, 31, John 11, 35, 2 Timothy 2, 15, Romans 15, 14, up under compassion and competence, which is up under methodology, our responsibility and discipleship. Now let's move over to the right side and let's look at philosophy, a worldview, a way of understanding of what counseling is and what you're trying to accomplish in counseling. I have two ideas here, the two most important in my view. The first one is exaltation of Christ. The second one, centrality of the heart. Well, you'd kind of expect the exaltation of Christ since this is a Christological model of discipleship. In John 15, 5, Jesus said this, I am the vine You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, that's not only bold, but it is really clear. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Now, a a, a disciple or a counselee or a spouse or a child or a parent or another human being needs to know that. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. That's why we have a Christological view of counseling. You want to get them to Jesus? You could think of it this way. Let's pretend in our mind that Christ is standing over here somewhere, and the person that you're discipling is not there but somewhere else. What you want to do is to take them 
to Jesus. Spurgeon said it this way, another paraphrase, you want to make a beeline to Christ. And so your goal in counseling, as far as our philosophy is concerned, get them to Jesus. If they want to change, if they if they want to be able to, if they want to be empowered to do whatever it is they want to do, have a better marriage, better family, better church, better life, get to Jesus. Therefore, the exaltation of Christ is huge in discipleship. You want to lift up Jesus and point to him and show them how to get to him. And so text number one is John 15, 5. Without him, you can do nothing. And then the second text is Philippians 2, 5 through 11. You know this text This is Jesus taken on form of man. Have this mind among yourselves, Paul said, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And he goes on to the, and he finishes this in verse 11, to where uh, he will be exalted and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God The Father, that's Ephesians 2, verses 5 through 11. All Christian discipleship has a high view of Jesus Christ. So under this Christological model for discipleship, under methodology, compassion, competence, under philosophy, exaltation of Christ, and then centrality of the heart. Jesus was really clear in Luke 6, 43 through 45. I won't read that entire passage, but they are here. It is here in the show notes. If you want to pull it up or if you remember it, please look at it. It's it's, it's a passage of scripture you want to memorize. But here's the punchline. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're going to help a person change, by the way, this is one of the fundamental world-shaking differences between Christian discipleship and whatever it is that the world is doing with the Holy Spirit working with us, we call cooperating with the Holy Spirit as we engage God's Word and another individual. He is able to go inside this person's heart and bring change. And why is that important? Because Jesus said it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Everything that we do, everything that we think comes from our core. It comes from our center, and that center is our hearts. And so you must have a sound heart theology. Now, behavioral modification is great in certain situations. We all want to behaviorally modify. We need to change our behaviors. But if all you got is the ability to change your behaviors without changing your heart, your behaviors will revert back to what they used to be. You'll make a New Year's resolution, you'll turn over a new leaf, but long-term, sustainable, transformative change comes when your heart begins to change. Therefore, under our philosophy of discipleship, soul care, exaltation of Christ Lift him up, point to him, walk them to Jesus. And while you're doing that, address the centrality of the heart. Luke 6, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Paul said this. He talked about this in Ephesians 4. 
verse 23. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now, before and after that, before he said, put off, kind of a behavioral type thing. And then after this, he says, put on a kind of behavioral thing. But in the middle of these two things, he said, renew the spirit of your mind. You could say that discipleship is a three-step process. A little bit simplistic, but you understand what I'm saying. You're putting off, you're renewing, and you're putting on. If you are not renewing the spirit of your mind, and you have to know how to do this, and we spend a lot of time in our training with our mastermind students, teaching them how to have a sound heart theology. They have to go there. They have to go inside the heart of the other person, inside their soul is what we're talking about, and understand them, discern them from inside out, and then be able to help them to bring God's word to bear on their motivations of their heart so that they can renew their mind by the washing of the water of God's word. Christ is exalted. Well, that takes competence as a discipler, and it takes compassion as well. And so I've just given you a Christological model of soul care. Under Christology, compassion and competence, exaltation of Christ, centrality of the heart. Those are the four main pieces to our training. I hope that was instructive. If you do have time, please go to our website, 123, look at the graphic. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.